Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Packaging Brothers podcast. Brandon here. Uh, Today's guest is Mike Newman from Returnity, and his company basically helps brands find ways to kind of incorporate circularity with their packaging. It's a really cool company and certainly on point with the sustainable packaging movement. So I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. So here we go. Well, hey, Mike, welcome to the Packaging Brothers podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So, Mike, what is Returnity? Returnity works with brands and retailers who are looking to implement reuse in their shipping and delivery packaging uh, systems. In essence, we are the alternative to cardboard boxes and poly bags, but we do it in a, with a product that can be used over and over again uh, in the same manner. But we don't just make the packaging. We also help them identify and implement the system to make sure it's actually the right choice because switching from single use is not always that simple. Got it. So you're looking at the whole system change. You're actually supplying the packaging that's going to be reused, but looking at the whole business model as well. We are mostly because we didn't know we had to do that at first and then learn the hard way that we did. Uh Yeah. I mean, making the bag or box to do the job turns out to be the easiest part of the job. Usually it's not easy necessarily. And we've certainly come a long way in the five plus years we've been doing it. But we started out by being a reusable packaging company who thought our reusable shipping bags were really cool. And they were really cool and nobody wanted them. (laughs) And we had to we had to figure out well why they're so cool. And that was the sort of this the start of the journey on the systems part, which is like if they don't make sense operationally or economically, no matter how cool or how theoretically green or sustainable it is, it's like it's got to just work on all levels. And understanding that part was, I think, the real challenge for us, not the engineering part, ultimately. So what are some of those kind of core system, either hangups or issues that would prevent it from being a success? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of really positive momentum and energy around sustainability, climate, you know, issues that are just really central to society today, which I'm encouraged by. But the part where I think it's really lacked or cause challenges is by not just consumers, but also companies and the decision makers within them kind of rushing to try things that ultimately, when you take a half step back and look at them holistically, aren't really viable from a business case standpoint, or even necessarily better from a sustainability standpoint. And specifically, when it comes to reuse, you know, reusables are more expensive to manufacture than single use. And they are more materials and energy because they're designed for durability. So they're like worse for the planet and they're worse for your bottom line until they're not. Like you have to use it a lot. And when you start using them a lot, then you start to get the benefits. But you really have to use them a lot. And that's where the problems have sort of sprung up, I think, in the reuse model, in the reuse world, is that the reuse it a lot means like a lot. Like, you know, seven, 10, 20 cycles generally to get to a threshold. And that might not seem that hard, but to get to 20 use use cycles, you need it to stay in circulation at least 95% of the time. Wow. 95% is a really high bar when you're just asking consumers to like follow through and take that action. So that's ultimately like, it shouldn't be that surprising, but it's just, we're not used to thinking this way. But if you can't keep your packaging in circulation at a 95% or greater rate, you're probably making a choice that's worse for the 
planet and worse for your bottom line, which is discouraging and unfortunate, but ultimately just the baseline that we all have to be operating from. So for us, that meant like, oh, okay, like, (laughs) you know, that feels like a heavy weight to bear, but let's figure it out. So like, that's the system part is like working with retailers to understand like, where is that possible in your operations today? And where can we build towards tomorrow, but not just kind of like wishing away that core problem. Yeah. I'm seeing on your website here that you've worked with Estee Lauder, Walmart, New Balance. I'm a huge fan of New Balance. I run in their 860s. Great shoe. Anyways, PayPal. Like which one of these or not these would be like a great example or case study that you could kind of walk us through of how it kind of started? What was the packaging that was kind of used? What were some of the systems and how successful was it? Well, since since you love New Balance so much, which is a great brand, absolutely. You know, they're... The team we work with at New Balance is not one that anyone would ever probably say like, oh, yeah, that's totally where you should be doing reasonable packaging in New Balance, which is their sponsored sports team. Oh, wow. Okay. Because they have a model that's, you know, they sign up teams, everything from high schools to, you know, semi-pro and pro league teams, and they have to send them product samples to like confirm, is this the style, the colors, the printing, everything, and then they send them back. So they had a system of sending stuff out and getting stuff sent back already. And they basically would scrounge for cardboard to make it work, which was not effective. Certainly not a very good brand representation, mm. but also it's just kind of like inefficient and, and problematic from a cost and execution standpoint. So they're like, well, this is... So when we first started talking to New Balance, we said like, let, let's hunt out where in your operation you have circularity or circularity adjacent <laughs> in essence. Like, hey, that's a great use model, right? You're sending stuff out. They're sending it back. Like, we can totally solve the packaging part of that. And you have a circular model already with a new balance that you never even thought of as being circular. Um, So that whole system now is run on our reusable bags and boxes. They're sending shoes and jerseys and all that stuff. And everyone loves it. The the employees at New Balance love it because it's made their job, like, way easier. The sports teams love it because, like, it shows up now in this branded, like, really innovative packaging that, like, is a much better representation than a scrounge, sometimes used cardboard box. Yeah. And it just stays in circulation and it makes sense. So it's not the biggest part of New Balance's business, obviously. It's not their highest volume shipping, but it works. And it's been a really important entry point for us and for them to get used to how reusables can work within their operation, validate it as an alternative packaging mechanism. And then like with trust, and success build into newer and, and you know potentially larger scale applications. That brand equity piece is a really interesting one. And it's hard to really quantify, right? I mean, how much more valuable or, or how much more, I don't know, kind of pride or trust does it build when you kind of have this really more robust package being sent back and forth? Not just on the sustainability concerns, but just the quality of the packaging. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's plenty of studies on top of all the anecdotal evidence that, you know, there's a real packaging fatigue and sort of hatred <laughs> by consumers at this point. <laughs> yeah. In the same breath, of course, if you ask them, well, are you buying less online to like minimize how much packaging you're using? You know, the answer is no, they're doing the opposite. So it's a complicated problem for brands to try and navigate. And when it shows up in a reasonable, consumers are going to take notice. Now, that is, there's value in that, but that value is limited ultimately, right? I mean, the CFO has to like it and that's not going to be enough for the CFO to like it if the other parts of the model are not cost efficient. So we sort of think of that as frankly, a tertiary benefit, sort of a non-cash 
not direct cash benefit when we're modeling out reuse for clients. You know, first and foremost is this just the use cycles, like how expensive is it to get back? How much are you paying in shipping to bring resources back? Some of those really core expenses associated. The secondary are some unexpected benefits like you're not opening our boxes with box cutters or scissors. So there's less product damage, Mm. which is like a big source of cash value, right? Like less product damage. Yeah. And then the tertiary is goodwill and brand and those sorts of things, which are important and meaningful. But if it doesn't work on the first level, by the time you get to the third level, it's still probably not going to work. I have to ask, just kind of backing up a little bit here. What's your background, Mike? Like, why did you get into this crazy reusable packaging idea? Well, yeah, when I finished undergrad, I had an environmental policy degree and I went to DC and worked for the Sierra Club, the big grassroots environmental group as part of their policy and political office. And I interned for on Capitol Hill for a congressperson, like really was steeped in that world, which was an amazing sort of entry point into my career. I also sort of saw firsthand how much corporate interests kicked environmental grassroots butts in a lot of those legislative battles. And so I sort of got a feel for where a lot of the scaled uh, change or challenges was coming from and felt like I needed to be better versed in how to work with or even just be a part of the for-profit world as a means of driving scaled change, which is what you know is really exciting and important to me. So I left, I got an MBA. And since then, I've really been a part of startup and growth companies who have all kind of had the same mission, which is to work with the large corporate players on how they're implementing and managing different aspects of their business and from a logistics and product standpoint to just get to, to more sustainability. So it's been on that side of the ledger for the last decade plus. And Returnity actually was not, uh, I didn't start it. It was it was spun out of a small reusable shopping bag business that was in Santa Cruz. Come up with this reusable shipping bag, but it wasn't, as I sort of alluded to earlier, it was having some trouble getting customers. And uh, so I was brought in by the investors kind of on the strength of that background I had in supply chain and customer behavior. And, and then just working with major corporations because at the end of the day, if Walmart and New Balance and others aren't on board, you're going to have a really hard time getting impact. And so that's a lot of what we do is just making sure it works for these big companies who just, it's got to work. And so that's sort of what ultimately we think is our superpower is the ability to serve these huge corporations with complicated and integrated supply chains. Like it's just packaging. It's just got to work. So like that's sort of how we approach it. And, and that's, you know, I'm able to lean on my my background to, to be a part of accomplishing it. That's great. With your background in government, kind of seeing how the sausage is made a little bit, are you seeing much legislation, regulations coming down the pipe? It's accelerating. I mean, you know, listeners may know about the uh, herd of EPR, extended product responsibility as a sort of regulatory push. And it's it's really starting to impact packaging in a way that is getting faster and faster, both in the scope and then the number of states who have tackled it most recently California with some pretty aggressive numbers, some pretty aggressive policies. And ultimately what it means is just single use is going to become more expensive because the retailers are going to have to account for the impact that comes from how they're packaging goods. That doesn't mean the solutions are evident or easy. Generally are not going to be in place tomorrow, though a few states have already put things in the field 
sometimes for better or for worse, like in New Jersey, which banned single-use bags for grocery delivery and now is dealing with the reality that they have consumers who are just, you know, filling up rooms with all the reasonable bags that they're getting delivered by the retailers because the retailers don't have a choice. And they also don't have systems for, for keeping those in circulation. So it's not perfect today. But the reality is that I think everybody, and this isn't just a retail, I mean, this, you know, it's it's a retailer problem in the sense that the regulation is forcing them to make changes to their operations. But in the end, it's a society problem. Like consumers, retailers are just serving their customers. Their customers are a part of the problem and a part of the solution. And we have to all recognize that. So this is something that's going to drive change, not just because retailers are going to start delivering in reusable bags, but because consumers are going to be asked and ultimately required to change how they think about using packaging too. So now that I've made it sound as easy as it is, which is not easy, <laughs> I think we should all just understand that like whether it's because consumers are pressuring companies, companies are making choices on their own, or governments are forcing it, like systems are going to change expectations and requirements are going to change. And over the next three to five years, as you see a lot of this stuff coming in online, it's going to accelerate faster and faster. So that means smart retailers are starting with pilots and programs today so that they can learn and evolve and make them as efficient and effective as they can in time. Because three to five years seems like a long way out. In that kind of space, it's not. They got to start now. Yeah. Are you seeing any kind of any use of incentives for to kind of encourage return rates to get to that 95% with consumers actually staying in the program? Just kind of curious how that would... It's been tried a lot. I don't think it works. Really? Not at all? It maybe does at the margin, but it doesn't, it doesn't move the needle anywhere close to enough. And you know, in our space, in the shipping and delivery space in particular, you know, we have a group of, of competitors here and in Europe who have been working on it for years. And, you know, in one instance, like literally 10 plus years. And those programs are generally built on a sort of opt-in and checkout approach to reuse. So, all right, you placed your order. Do you want to come in single use or reusable bag or box? If it comes in reusable, they're going to charge you more, but they're going to give you an incentive upon return. Well, you you get a discount or a rebate or something. So it's opt-in. So in theory, it's just people who have understood what they're getting into, (laughs) made an active choice, They've been doing that approach for over 10 years and their best programs, they get 75% of the packaging back. Wow. And if you, in a vacuum, if you said, hey, I've got this business where I'm able to get 75% of consumers to take a pro-environmental action, you'd be like, that is a miracle and amazing and to be applauded. And on some level, that's correct. But in a reuse context, what that means is if they're only getting it back 75% of the time, it's only being used for four use cycles because like 25% are lost in the first cycle and then another 25% in the second. So like they're just not getting it back enough. And the gap between 75 and 90 or 95 is profound. I mean, it's just messaging, infrastructure, incentives, um, penalties, you know, if you don't return it, like all those things have been tried pretty aggressively. Mm. It just hasn't gotten it close. So we tell retailers no to that model all the time because it just is proven at this point. It doesn't work today. I don't think it's going to work tomorrow. I'm hopeful. I mean, there's other examples, right? Like with soda bottles or pop bottles. I grew up in Michigan, but like whatever you call them, you know, those kind of programs um, can work 
and create change. But reuse is its own thing. And retailers need to really understand that. And consumers just, a coupon's not going to be good enough. Hmm. How do you get to that 95% consistently without having there be some sort of benefit for the consumers? Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. So then there's, how do you make sure that you're not just cranky about reuse, but actually creating <laughs> yeah. scaled and meaningful programs? And our argument, which still seems sort of profound, but shouldn't be, is that retailers and consumers should be thinking about this from like, what's the easiest problems to solve today with reuse, not the hardest. Okay. Ordering stuff online and having it delivered to your home, that's the hardest problem to try and adapt to reuse today because of the issues we were just talking about. But there's lots of examples of things that are basically already circular or close enough. And so our feeling is let's let's solve the easiest problems today and build off of a foundation of success rather than trying to go all into the other end and the extreme, which is a natural instinct. Like that's where the biggest problems are. But when you do things that aren't going to work, you actually you stunt uh, any momentum for the whole, you know, for anything. Yeah. So in practical terms, that means, I mean, certainly like all these rental businesses, fashion and others that have sprouted up are, are an easy and obvious fit. So we work with Rent the Runway and, and you know, basically all their competitors at this point and make packaging for them and help them with that. The second is internal shipping, like between warehouses and stores. Consumers mm. don't see it. It's a huge market. Like the amount of cardboard used there is insane. And um, it's a really easy model because it's employees and they can aggregate all the empties. And, and so we're working with a bunch of major brands now, you know, some like PayPal, you mentioned that are, that are already sort of announcing out there, others that are um, not yet public, but it's a really big area of shipping. And then the, the sort of third and, and how you start to really scale this out for consumers, is just understanding where you have really high frequency, high engagement retail as opposed to buying a pair of shoes once a year from, you know, a random website. So, and that's most particularly is in a lot of the refill stuff that's, that's come up. So like we work with Estee Lauder for their subscription refill programs, mm. it's high engagement, high repetition or grocery where they just, the amount of bags they use is, I mean, it's like literally like a billion <laughs> bags a year and they're coming to your home every week. If you're doing. Yeah home delivery. Like you have this high engagement, high frequency program where you can start to change culture. You can start to educate consumers and create a behavior that's a lot easier to train and manage than these really infrequent purchases, which make up so much of our e-commerce life still. And so that's where I think the opportunities are today. Yeah. You mentioned the grocery space. What kind of movement or changes are you seeing in that sector that are going to be kind of exciting? going forward. Yeah, you know, there's three basic consumption models in grocery. There's the traditional I drive to the store and shop and go home. There is home delivery, so whether it's Instacart or direct from the retailer whoever it is who, you know, you're buying your groceries online, they're being delivered to your home. And then there's the click and collect model where you buy online and then they're ready for you pre-bagged, so you just drive up to the store and they're all ready to pick up. Those last two categories, home delivery and you know, it's click and collect were growing before the pandemic. They grew like crazy because of the pandemic. Yeah. And that growth has not slowed down. I mean, it, it is, mm. it's not growing quite as fast, but it's still growing even as the pandemic is eased. So, and that is actually a really good model for reuse because the company is packing it. So like, you know, many of us, when we go grocery shopping, forget or don't bother with reusable bags. 
that's harder for the retailer to control necessarily. But when they're packing your order for you, they can put in the reusable. And then there's an engagement with the customer. So whether it's like I'm pulling up and parking in spot four, you know, in the parking lot and they know to bring my, you know, you pop your trunk and they throw the groceries, like they can grab the bags from last week mm-hmm. and bring them back in the store and use them to pack out the next order. Or if they're going to your home, they can grab them from your doorstep or have them handed to you. So those are the kinds of models that we're implementing with, with a lot of grocery right now, where they just have that ability to engage with you and keep those bags in circulation, which at the end of the day is, you know, what is necessary and what we're all aiming for. Yeah. Did a COVID kind of bring up any concerns about like the cleanliness or the sterilization with, with the reusable model? It did for about half a second. <laughs> really? And that's no longer talked about? Well, frankly, not really. Okay. I mean, I think it did. And we, so what we did is we created this partnership with a company out of Sweden that has this really cool technology that called Viral Off that is embedded in the dye of the for the fabric of the bags and it's, you know, independent lab, FDA, whatever validated to kill 99% of all viruses and bacteria. So like, it's cool. And it's tech and it's like, it's not, it's actually pretty cheap. Hmm. It just works really well. But I think once, once society sort of realized, Oh, this is an airborne virus, not a, I have to scrub my oranges virus or like leave my groceries on the, porch for a, you know 24 hours or whatever before I'm willing to touch them kind of a, a virus. Yeah. That stuff started to sort of dissipate because people had bigger problems to worry about. Yeah. In their lives. So we have ways of cleaning it, cleaning the packaging and sterilizing it. You know, we're not trying to diminish the importance of a healthy ecosystem for the stuff. But it's not nearly as much of a concern, I think, as everybody thought it was going to be. And part of that is just the success of reuse in the sense that people have gotten used to it, right? like stuff showing up on their doorstep that might've been used before. And it just, now that it's sort of normalized and this, now I'm really worried about it so much, which is, I think a good thing. Yeah. Looking forward five, 10 years from now, where do you think this whole industry is going to be in terms of reusable packaging? Do you think it's just going to be a part of our everyday life? Are we kind of in the middle of, of the transition, early adopters? What is it going to look like in the future? You think? Yeah, I think it's going to, I mean, that's that question I think applies to sort of how, I think it, it overlays really cleanly with how much everything about how we buy products and use products is changing and, and, and delivery and, and all that is changing in real time. So you think about all the technologies that are, that are getting all this investment and we're starting to see in our lives in ways that we don't even realize, whether it's drone deliveries or pickup and lockers or an autonomous delivery bots or gig economy, DoorDash drivers, like everything is changing so fast that we don't even necessarily notice it. Hmm. And some of those things are working well and some of them aren't, you know, I'm still waiting for my first drone delivery, for example, but me too. I do live in Brooklyn, so it's probably, I'm probably going to be last, (laughs) but, but the reality is I think like all that evolution and system is maps really well to, to reusables and containers and like how, like all those things are interconnected. So, mm. you know, I don't think it's going to be linear change. I think we're going to sort of like for many of us, including, you know, somebody like me who does this every day, you know, we'll, I'll have those moments where I'll wake up and say, oh, right. Like now all of a sudden, it seems like all of a sudden everything that you buy through this retailer or the, through this product type or this model or whatever is coming in reusables. And like, when did that happen? <laughs> So it'll probably be that kind of thing where it's going to be fits and starts, but all trending 
towards these different kinds of systems that are more accountable, more circular, more sensitive to to all these challenges we have in society with climate and infrastructure and everything else. So I think it's going to be slow and fast as change always is. And I'm not ready to bet exactly on when when we'll necessarily see those changes other than to say it feels inevitable for all the reasons we've been talking about today. For those listening that would be interested in learning more, or maybe they're running a brand or they're at a big company and they're talking about reusable or they've maybe tried it and failed, what kind of advice or recommendations would you would you give to them? It's not going to work out of the gate. So you, you have to pilot. You got to invest in pilots. You got to take that process seriously. But you have to start. I mean, that's the thing is it's not going to work out of the gate, but nothing ever does. Change is hard. Don't let that scare you away. I think the retailers that have done well are the ones who are scoping pilots with a long view in mind and an appreciation of what are the really critical metrics and and sort of considerations that they need to answer. And when you do it that way, you're going to figure it out and evolve into something that's successful. So nobody that we work with goes from zero to a million bags or boxes, and we wouldn't do that either. Like you're making an investment, you need to test it and learn and do it in the right spirit. When you tackle it that way, you're going to find find ways to make it work. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on our show. Is there anything else you wanted to share with our audience? How should they how should they get get in touch with you? Yeah, we love to, obviously we love talking about packaging. We invite anyone to visit us uh, through our website, returnity.co. And um, at this point, we've bagged or boxed everything from wine to furniture to clothes to electronics. It's a really fun space to be working in. And, and yeah, anyone who's interested, please come see us. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to our episode today. And a special thanks to Mike Newman from Returnity for telling us all about his business and his background. I really hope you got a lot out of the episode. I certainly did. As always, feel free to reach out, comment, connect, give us your ideas, questions, suggestions. And until next time, take good care.